Hello, listeners. How are you? It's Thanksgiving. I mean, it is at least for America. You seem to be pretty much the only country in the world that does Thanksgiving. You know, we all do Christmas and stuff. But you know, but the majority of our listeners are based in the US. Very odd for a British podcast, but there you go. I don't make up the rules. So, as it's Thanksgiving, we thought we would give something back to you. And as you may or may not know, we have a Patreon. We do exclusive shows just for Patreon. We do one for Disney Parks and Beyond, or Diz After Dark, over on Patreon. And we've got a new Universal podcast as well called Ride the Movies. So these are behind paywalls. You've got to be a Patreon member to listen to them. So we thought it'd be good to spread the joy of Thanksgiving and give you something, listeners, to, to hear. And, um, you know, we record at least an episode of these every month. So uh, in the month of November, we have got uh, Shrek. We were reviewing Shrek and the Shrek attraction over on the Universal episode. And on the Days After Dark episode, uh, we've done John Carter. Uh, We get our listeners, our Patreon members to vote for the films that we want to see for Disney, uh, Days After Dark. And uh, for Universal, we're just going around the park and looking at the rides and the the movies that inspire the attractions. So, um, yeah, we really enjoy doing those. It's a nice little add-on, just something to to give back to the people that like to support us. And, you know, if you want to hear more from where that comes from, then, you know, why don't you join us on on Patreon? And um, the other thing to note as well, because it's on Patreon, they are a bit more classic, i.e. there's more blue language so don't listen to this around the table at thanksgiving if there's young ears there we don't want to corrupt their minds um these are more grown-up episodes that we're going to play for you so uh, just bear that in mind you know they are a bit racier there is some strong language in them hopefully you still find them funny though we certainly enjoyed making them um so um enjoy thanksgiving Uh, Thank you for supporting us, and um, if you want to join a Patreon, the link is in the show description. So, um, enjoy. Hello and welcome to another edition of After Dark at the Movies. I am Nick and this this month we are discussing Jaws and I am joined by P-Dubs. Hello. And Paulie D. This was not a boating accident. <laughs> then, well, this podcast might be, I don't know. Um, so the question I've got to you guys is who was it that suggested that we did Jaws? None of us. Yeah, it wasn't no, it Craig. I think so. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So Flake, Flakerson, was flaked mm. out and left us. Yeah. To, and I wouldn't mind. He was the first one to watch Jaws. Like he messaged me saying, oh, "I've just watched it." And in fact, I'm sure he recorded some audio. Because didn't he watch it with Grace? I'm 
I'm sure you watched it great. Yeah. I'm sure he said recorded some audio. So not only is he not sending me the audio nine we're recording tonight, but he's not even bothered to turn up for the fucking podcast. Well, I don't know. Well, there you go. It's Craig for you. So I, I, mean, I suppose the only saving grace um, with Craig not being on his podcast is the fact that at least Jaws isn't a piece of shit. Or the greatest movie ever. Ooh, or his favourite movie ever. <laughs> so, um, I trust you guys have watched yours. Oh, yeah. Yes. Good stuff. Well, that's, that's at least one thing. So, uh, shall I start off with a few uh, facts about Jaws? Please do. So, Jaws was released on the 20th of June, 1975. And this was a time when the summer season was seen as a dumping ground for films. Uh, and the more popular releases, <laughs> and the more popular releases, uh, were around Christmas, uh, late fall, winter time instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, Jaws was released on four hundred and sixty-four screens across America, which wasn't considered a wide release. The reason for this was because Universal wanted people to have to make a special effort to go and see the film and to make it last all summer long. So their plan was that by releasing it in certain cities is that people would have to actually travel out of their way to go and see it. It was that much of an event film that they would do that. Unintentionally, this led to people queuing around the block for hours to try and get a ticket. And this became the first summer blockbuster. Do you see? Because they were queuing around the block. Ah. There you go. So this is the... Is that where it came from? That's where this came from. Well, actually, I looked this up. So Blockbuster originally was a a term used in the war when buildings were bombed. They would take out entire blocks of uh, of buildings. Uh, But it was later used to describe films where people would you know queue up for hours because i know mr d this resonates probably more with you than me but i remember back in the summer uh, not in the summer in the in the winter of 89 um queuing up for uh tickets to go and see back to the future part two right and i don't know how long we queued up for we queued up for quite a while i remember there being quite a big queue and we got near the front and it sold out tickets because that, that's used to be how you used to buy tickets. But what's this oh, yeah. got to do with Bob Holness? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to say something, Chris. I was waiting. I saw your name pop up on the screen. And I was just waiting for something to come. Oh, it's a good I question. I don't have no idea who Bob Holness is. Well, I'll tell you who Bob, Bob Holness uh, is. He's one of the first people to pl- uh, portray James Bond. Mm, on radio. On radio. Uh, oh, okay. See, why don't I know that Ripples would know that fact? Uh, and he's from my uh, hometown. Is he really? Yeah, apparently. I never met him or anything. Oh, you didn't have coffee with him like Tom Baker? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Chris- no Christmas cards or anything. No. <laughs> Sod him. I mean, one time I did break down and I did knock on his door and ask if I could have a pee, but he, he wasn't in. <laughs> See, this is, this is what happens. You, get, you, you lose Flaky McFlakerson, but instead we get Ripples. I think that's a better trade, to be fair. 
<laughs> Who's Flakey Flakerson? Craig. Oh, Craig, right, yeah. Craig cool. is the reason, Craig is the reason we watched Jaws for this podcast, right? And then he flakes out. Ooh, I'm sitting in a house. Who cares? I'm not, I'm not interested in your petty excuses, right? Yeah, this is, uh, this is you know, stuff we're talking about, yeah. I could be getting divorced for all anyone knows. I'm still here. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't think I am, but, you know, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before, before it happens, to be fair. Um, I don't know how long you've been listening to this, Chris, but I just, just explained the term blockbuster mm. and how Jaws was the first blockbuster. The very first one, yeah. Did you ever have to, do you ever remember having to queue up at the cinema for hours to get tickets for a film? I queued up for Jurassic Park. It's probably the last one I actually did that for. I yeah, I can't yeah. remember any since then because it all sort of changed, didn't it, with the internet and everything? Once, once you'd I've... be able to book tickets, you could, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think I think we had to queue up for Ghostbusters two and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, that would. But be other sad. than that, like you're talking after Jurassic Park, I can't remember queuing up. Yeah. I think things started to change, didn't they? When Phantom Menace came out, that was kind of when when cinema changed. Yeah, because it was much more organised. I remember that because yeah. it was sort of everybody wanted to see it, but there was sort of no real queues or anything. It was just. I can't yeah. remember how I bought my tickets for Phantom Menace, but I remember we had tickets in advance. So like, I, I went to see the first screening of it on the, on the release day in the UK, and we, we already had our tickets in advance. So we must have been able to do either over the phone or maybe we had to go down to the cinema to buy them, but I remember that we had the tickets ready. It was, our local Cineworld opened when Phantom Menace opened. Oh, so it was all sort of new and organised and, you know. Yeah, I think our Warner Brothers was the same. Oh, man. We God, used to have, Warner Brothers. We used to have some, like, quite random chains, didn't we? Because uh, we, I remember there being, was it UCI? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that was ABC. As easy as one, two, three. Oh, my God. the ABC Miners Club on a Saturday morning. Yep. My, my dad used <laughs> to go to that. Rogers and... Not, not, not Arthur Scargill. <laughs> um. That's the wheel tappers and shunters social club you're thinking about. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, calm down. Ding, 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 ding. I think I we used to have, I think, do you remember, you know the, um, not the cinema in Wolfhamstow, Chris? I think that yes. used to be a canon the last time I went, like the really? last time I was a cinema, I think that was a canon cinema. Wow. Um, it was definitely kind of at one point. Yeah. So, boys, I went to see Jaws and was the EBC. What did you say, P Dubs? Savoy's. No. Nah, another. Never, never yeah, had had, oh, no, it was La Scala. We had, we had La Scala. Oh. And we had the Odeon, obviously. That was where I went to see Star Wars. And that was my first blockbuster experience. Well, mm-hmm. fun fact for you, Mr. Dorland. Mm-hmm. is my great-great-grandfather used to own all the Escalas on the west coast of Scotland. Yeah, right. Okay. Wow. Mm. I used to go to the Escala. I went to, I went to, I got into an 18, my first 18 Rudy Doody film was in the Escala. <laughs> and then it later became a nightclub. And I was working on Rudy Doody films. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember Warner Village as well. Yeah. Because they used to have... I'm sure 
the Warner Village near me used to have like Looney Tune figures in it, a bit like a Disney store of the 90s. Like, yeah, that was, we had one in Harrow that was the same. Yeah. With the, yeah. the Looney Tunes outside. What yeah. the hell happened to Warner Brothers? They were everywhere in the 90s. They sold up the cinemas, didn't they, to view? I'm sure what about the, the, the big shop at Lakeside? Well, they had a few of those. Yeah. Because they had one in Watford, didn't they, P-Dubs? Yeah, which became the Disney store. That's right. Wow. Um, that one at Lakeside, I still walk past the shop. I think it's a hairdresser's now. I can't remember. Oh, God. But I walk past it and just think, oh, man, I remember when it used to be like the Warner shop. And it used to be such a good shop. Wasn't there one at Gatwick, or am I thinking something else? Uh, I did. I never flew out really, so I I can't I can't confirm or deny it. But Don't, they all went by. So. Not not now. Oh no, not now. No, no. no. Back in like the mid nineties. I remember. Oh. I remember going to Lakeside and buying an Animaniacs t-shirt. A uh, in in the reduced section, a Batman and Robin Monopoly edition. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's still sealed, and it's probably worth it's probably worse, worth less now than when we bought it. Um, Surely, one of the pieces in it must have been nipples. What for ripples? <laughs> no, I don't think so. That board game's probably worth more than the film. Nah, I think it's probably worth less. <laughs> um, and I remember because I used to have one on Regent Street, which I think the one on Regent Street became Disney Store, which has subsequently closed as well now. Um, but I remember going there around about 99 and they had like a load of Iron Giant toys and I hadn't seen the film. I thought the toys looked really cool and they were all in, they were all being reduced. And I thought, oh, should I buy some of those? I was like, well, I've not seen the film. I, I liked the book, but I hadn't seen the film at that point. And uh, after seeing the film, I realised I'd made a, a huge Joe Bluth-like mistake by not buying any and now those same Iron Giant toys are worth like hundreds of pounds each. Oh, you're joking. That, like, they were so hard to get hold of because the film kind of, it's become like a cult thing. Um, mm. Didn't do well at the cinema but they didn't make a lot of those toys so now those toys are worth loads of money and I was like I could have bought all of them and, and bought none of them. Piss me off. But anyway, the Warner Brothers shots are great. But... Back in Amity. Yeah, back in Amity. So, um, first blockbuster, good. Right, had a budget of nine million. Anyone know how much, or want to guess at how much Jaws made? Yep. Go I know how much I made. Oh, okay. That's cheating. You can't, you can't answer that. Does anyone, does anyone that doesn't know the answer want to guess at how much Jaws made? I'll tell it as a no. So, it, Mr. D, how much did he make? 470.7 million. There you Off go. Of budget of 9 million. Not a bad return. Not a bad Gosh. return at all. And I think it went over budget because I think originally it was budgeted for about 3 million. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they went over budget and we'll come up to why in a second. Um, there was three full-size pneumatically powered sharks. Mm-hmm. Apparently all of them were nicknamed Bruce. Yeah. I didn't realise yeah. that. I just thought it was the one, but I think just the moving ones were called Bruce. Um, Only one survived. Yes. And does, do you know why they were called Bruce? After his lawyer. That's correct. Yeah. Bonus points to Ripples. Um, unlike most films shot uh, in water tanks, 
Jaws was shot on the actual ocean, which caused many issues with filming. It's one of the first films to be actually filmed in an ocean. Can I just say that if you, when you watch that, you, you can see how difficult that must have been. Mm. But if you watch Jaws 4, The Revenge, that was all shot in that great big lake on the back lot of Universal Hollywood. Right. And it looks utterly, utterly terrible. <laughs> but I mean, they haven't even... Rock and Roller Coaster doesn't help. <laughs> it, it doesn't even... They haven't even bothered to, like, repaint the background to make oh. it even look like it's the sea. I... So it's a good job he did do it at sea, I'd say. I have seen Jaws 4, The Revenge one more time than Michael Caine has. <laughs> um, and I've not seen it since I think it first came on TV in like the late 80s. So my memory is all full of it. But I'm almost you know inclined to watch it now. You know what he says about that film, don't you, when people criticise him over it? Oh, I do. But please, yeah. tell the listeners. Well, it, he, well, I'll paraphrase, right? Paraphrase, yeah. Recently, someone messaged me and said... Oh, Ripley, your books are really shit. I think they're rubbish, blah, 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 blah. So I just messaged back and said, do you know what? They might be shit, but I fucking love the house they bought. (laughs) (laughs) Because wasn't it it a case of um, Michael Caine, because the question was asked because Michael Caine couldn't accept his Oscar because Mm. it was filming Jaws for the Revenge. That's right. When he won it for the first and only time. I think he's only won it once, hasn't he? No, I think he won it twice. Did he won it for um, Cider House. Cider House Rules, yeah. Right. Only the not main actor, the supporting. Yeah. Yeah, supporting actor, yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, and so that that's so that's the question. Someone's asked him that question before and he said, I've never seen it, but I saw the house that it bought in the Bahamas. So uh fair play plays him. That's what you gotta do sometimes. <laughs> Make a shitty film, get a house. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, though, they pick up on Jaws 4. He has made plenty of shitty films in his time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. He's not, he's, not, he's not an actor that's only appeared in good stuff. I mean, every, a lot of actors you could, you could have that argument with, can't you? That, oh, yeah, definitely now, yeah. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you have to make something that's a little bit ropey in order to make something you actually want to do. You've got bills to pay. You know exactly. Um, Robert Shaw, who played Quint, had a personal gr- grudge with Richard Dreyfus during filming, put down to jealousy due to Dreyfus's success. I think it was that Star Wars Born thing where you know one's on the rise while the other one's coming down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was watching a thing the other day, they had Robert Shaw's son, he's doing a play in Brighton at the moment about Jules. All right. And his son is a spitting image of his father. He even sounds really? the same. Yeah, yeah. He's li- it's like he's still alive, the guy. Jesus. And the play is about his relationship with Richard Dreyfus, And he was saying that it was a little bit of that, but he also thought that Dreyfus had been incredibly lucky in his career up until then, that he'd been dropped into these fantastic parts and just through sheer luck. And that, he felt that he wasn't being serious enough with his career, that he wasn't working as hard as he could do. Um, and that's why he sort of goaded him quite a bit and picked on him and tried to get him to react, to try and spar him on to work harder, apparently. The thing is, like, it's, it's interesting because I found this fact out after re-watching Jaws. And when you watch it, especially the scenes when they're out 
you know, proper out sea on the Orca, you can kind of get that because, you know, obviously, like, it's the roles they're playing, but it adds a real kind of brevity to it because, you know, he's angry at him quite a lot of the time. And he does shout at him and he does kind of goad him a little bit. So um, it was interesting to find that out. But that play sounds fascinating because I was thinking about this, like... Richard Dreyfus hasn't really, you know, he did Jaws and then he did Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he's done lots of other films since then, but he never kind of really bettered those roles or those film choices. Mm. And I'm not sure why, especially in those two, like he did seem like, you know, he could be a star in the making. But, I think he does suffer with a lot of mental health issues as well. Right, which, yeah, yeah. It would kind of make sense of that. But, uh, but yeah. interestingly, um, you talk about Michael Caine being in Jaws 4. I don't know what he was paid, but he jokes that he bought a house with the money. Yeah. But um, they approached him, uh, Dreyfus, to be in number four, and they said that they couldn't afford him. His fee was too high. Jesus. So Lord only knows what he demanded to be in that mm. film if it's Michael Caine buying a mansion with his money. <laughs> James. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how but, much um, the cast and Bahamas would be, but even so, it'd be pretty pricey. Yeah. But he actually bought a restaurant, didn't he? That's the, that's the funny thing, Michael Caine. Yes. Because after this, he went and ran a restaurant for 15 years in Miami. Which should have been a sitcom. It should have been. I don't know what. I mean, they went with Golden Girls, but it should have been like Golden Boys or something, you know? Still time. Still time. Um, also, it was a film that kind of uh, kick-started the career of uh, a certain John Williams. Mm. And I mean, God only knows how many times that, that theme to Jaws has been used in, in other films and <laughs> series and stuff. It's, it's been parried an awful lot. He kick-started his career and he only had to write two notes. So, Mr. Dan, I'm going to come... Sorry, yeah. go on. I was just going to say, it's interesting, the actors that they originally wanted for the parts. So, Robert Duvall for Brodie. Wow. And, um, and John Voight for Hooper's role. Well, it was actually George Lucas that suggested Richard Dreyfuss to Spielberg because he'd just done American Graffiti for Lucas. That's right. And it's 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 interesting as well because they they had to rewrite Hooper when they got Dreyfus because I mean I've I've never read the book has anyone read the book Yeah no that was down yeah, in my notes but I hadn't I have read the book Yeah, yeah. from what I've from what I've seen like that the character of Hooper is quite different in the film than he is in the book he he is there's quite a few big differences in the book mm. and and especially the end. And apparently Benchley hated the end of the film initially. And then when he saw it in the cinema, he decided he actually liked it and thought it was a better ending. Yeah. Because when I read the book, I don't, like I said, you guys haven't read the book, but when I read the book, it's a fantastic book. And then you get to the end and you're like, Oh, the end is crap. Yeah. What? Does he get, doesn't yeah. he get stabbed, stabbed fucking... to death or something? No, it has a heart no. attack, doesn't he, or something? He dies. He yeah. just literally dies of exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's cut, so imagine that scene where it's coming towards Brody and Brody's in the water and thinks he's going to die. And literally, it just almost gets to him and then just 
does a flop over. <laughs> Starts wheezing and falls on his side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's Jaws that. 4, it gets so speared, doesn't it? Jet. Yeah. Uh, what's um, the one he executes? Is that Jaws 2? 2. Robert Shaw got a small writing credit as well. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Yes, I read that. Well, did he get the credit or is it just... He, he got paid for it. I don't right. know if it's on IMDb or not, but he, um, the Indianapolis sinking, yeah. he wrote that. Well, someone else wrote it, and then Robert Shaw, apparently, he's also authored a number of books. I, I, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and he rewrote that section into a, a yeah. smaller, bite-sized version that he could perform. And then he performed you know it drunk, the story apparently. of that scene? There's a story that goes with that scene, and if you watch the movie, you, you can actually see it so robert shaw was a massive party animal and so they gave robert shaw an executive assistant and his job was to keep robert shaw sober and keep him out of the pubs but robert shaw took his executive assistant to the to the bar and got him pissed every day <laughs> right and then as chris said shaw wrote or rewrote that scene with the indianapolis on it but he was so pissed when they were filming that scene that he muffed the lines quite a few times. And then the next day he felt so bad that he went to Spielberg and apologised and begged him to let him shoot the scene again. So they shot the scene again. But if you watch the finished film, they've actually used pieces from both versions. And if you look at Shaw's eyes, you can see the scenes where he's absolutely hammered. I think this is possibly the first episode of this podcast where I'm going to have to go and immediately rewatch Jaws <laughs> to, to see that. Because the thing is, like I was, I was going to talk about it later on, but we'll talk about it now. I mean, that, that scene on the boat where they've been drinking and they're kind of comparing their battle scars, I do, I always like the, the little subtle bit when Brody looks at, I think, is an appendix scar. I can't work yeah. out if, if that's what it is, but I'm assuming because the way he's looking, it is. Even that, he's going to get his cock out. I'm sure it. I'm sure he wasn't. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. I really don't think he was going to rock out with his cock out. <laughs> but that bit, that whole scene there, has got to be up there with some of the best drunk scenes in film. Yeah, and I know everyone because because he was drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I know. I, I know everyone kind of. Um, talks about with now and I, and obviously that's that's clever for, for different reasons. I.e., Richard E. Grant is stone cold sober during it, um, but the the way that scene is, it's so relatable and believable. Not the scar comparing necessarily, but the way in there, in the way they're reacting with each other, and the way they're talking to each other. You know, I've had times like that in my life normally call those Sundays. But do you know what I mean? Like, I think everyone has had a, a time in their life where they've had a little bit too much to drink and they're just there, you know, with a friend or a few friends and you have those kind of stupid conversations or you'll start seeing... I mean, I was talking... Did I... I think I said in a tweet the other day about The Simpsons that um, we used to get drunk and used to sing the Planet of the Apes medley from The Simpsons <laughs> when walking home from nightclubs because we used to listen to The Simpsons uh, Songs in the Key of Springfield album so much. I think we've all done something stupid like that, but that the way that that's been captured on film, I think is just so believable. 
And yeah. it, you know, it makes the film believable. When you get performances like that, it does make a, a film believable. Look, we've talked, we've talked enough about this. Mr. Day, mm-hmm. you've watched yours. I'll come to you first. Yeah. Uh, what have you got to say about yours? Okay, so I've got a long, long history with Jaws. I saw it in the cinema when it first came out. I think I've told this story before. I saw it on one evening with my dad, and then they swapped places so they could watch my sister, and then I went the next evening. So I saw it two consecutive evenings in the cinema, and it was just—it was just a huge movie. It was the—it was the first summer blockbuster. So I was what thirteen, fourteen at the time. And we just went Jaws nuts. So seeing the movie multiple times, we had all the tie-ins, the book, everything, jigsaw puzzles. There were all sorts of shark books. There were other shark films. Everybody went shark crazy. So I've got a real affinity for the film. And obviously, you know, there were some problems with the special effects and the special effects are are a bit um, kind of dated by today's standards, but... The, the movie itself, I still think, stands up pretty well. Just because of what you just said there, really, Nick. Just the characters, the dialogue. I think Spielberg did a fantastic job um, turning the book into a movie because the book is quite different in parts. The Hooper character is quite different and the end is quite different. But I think, actually, the, it's one of the few cases where I think the movie is actually better than the book and benefits mm-hmm. from from what Spielberg did. Um, here's, a, here's, a quick, here's a question for you. It's a kind of trick question. How many people did the shark kill? Oh, God. Um, one, two, three, seven. Four? I say four. Okay. So I've got four and I've got seven. Okay, right. It's... I think it's a bit inconclusive, but I think it's six. Right? And I'll tell you why. Go on. You got um, Chrissy at the beginning, yep. who's mm-hmm. swimming, right? Then you got the kid, Alex Kintner, on the airbed, mm-hmm. right? There's also the dog at that point, but I'm not going to count the dog. Then there's the guy in the estuary in the boat that gets his leg bitten off. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you got the head that comes out from the bottom of the boat. It's a, it's a fisherman called Ben Gardner. Yep. Right. And then you got Quint uh, at the end. But earlier in the scene, you see Ben Gardner going out on a boat, and there's another guy in the boat with him. Uh, right. So I think it's six plus the dog. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, like, with the Ben thing, they never reference it again. No. I never talk about it. <laughs> they find him, but I never <laughs> talk about it. It's very, yeah. it's very old. Mm. And another piece of trivia that you've, you're probably aware of, because I think it was in the same same article. But Robert Shaw based Quint on the actor who played Ben Gardner. Yes, yeah, because a lot of right. the people in the film I read as well were actually uh, locals, mm-hmm. weren't actually actors. He's still alive, yeah. that bloke. Yeah, really. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of the film, there's just some some great scenes. I mean, I think, you know, the scene where Hooper comes 
to Amity and examines the boat victim, you've just got some classic lines, you know, this is not a boat attack or this is not a boat in accident, is a classic line. And you've got the scene where Hooper and Brody are talking to the mayor and you've got the big billboard behind them and some kid has painted the shark fin on it. I mean, that's just a fantastic scene. Um, the scene where Brody's on the beach and the kid gets attacked by the shark and the camera kind of zooms in on Brody and then yeah. it's kind of zooming in and zooming out at the same time. I mean, that's pure Alfred Hitchcock. It's, a, it's just little touches like that are absolutely fantastic. And then there's no doubt that the highlight scene of the whole movie is that scene where they're talking about the scars in the USS Indianapolis and they sing, show me the way to go home. Yeah. So for me, it still holds up. I think it's still a, a fantastic film. It's just a shame that the three sequels were so shit. <laughs> 45 years old this year. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. No, 44 years old this year. That's more believable. Um, P-dubs. So I'm, I'm kind of the opposite to Mr. D. That I, I never had a real affinity for the film. Um, kind of my background with it was more the theme park stuff than anything. Um, kind of wasn't of an age to, to really get it to start with. For Spielberg, I was always a Jurassic Park guy. Um, that's where his standard was was for me. But as I said, I, I've grown to love it because of the theme park stuff and and I've watched it multiple times since. Um, but as I say, I wouldn't put it as my, my favourite Spielberg movie. But I really enjoyed re-watching it and, and I've got a few pages of notes as well of stuff that that I kind of just felt about it. So I, I really like the, the clever use of background noises on the opening credits as well as the, the classic music. Um, I felt it was really clever to kind of not show you what was going on, but kind of gave you that foreboding kind of water noise and, and everything like that. Um, just really kicks off the film in a in a really good way um, and sets the tone for the rest of the film. Um, I also noted there was a lot of smoking and drinking throughout the film, which we quite clearly wouldn't get these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised. Actually, I'm surprised Spielberg hasn't remastered it and replaced the fags with uh, walkie-talkies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the opening scene, opening scenes really um, were very dark. Um, I know that was meant on purpose, but for some of it, it's quite difficult to actually see anything going on. Um, just those, those opening couple of scenes, obviously, with the first kill. And all that, which I actually felt the first kill was really anticlimactic. Wow! Um, because of because of how dark it is, it's it's just difficult to tell what what's actually happening. Um, but literally, just that that first one, uh, I find is is really not up there with the rest. Um, I also noticed that there's some very similar music cues to Back to the Future. Um, obviously fairly similar times they were made and with Spielberg involved in both it's not really a surprise um, just the the music cues rather than the, the full music I just felt it was there was some very similar tick-offs as they went from scene to scene um, and things like that um, Roy Schneider looked old even 
back then. Yeah, I think I, I don't know how old Roy Schneider was uh, when he made Jaws, but um, he was probably like thirty and looked about seventy. Yeah, he never really aged um, because he was always old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly how I felt. He, he just looked like he was really old already. Yeah, um, I felt that Amity itself was really picturesque, the housing and everything. But by the time we got to the beach, it was an absolute fucking dump. Um, around the beach where the, the boats and everything were just it just looked horrible it wasn't the, the picturesque fishing village that they kind of portray in the Helden area but just you've uh, just obviously uh, never been to Cleethorpes Paul no I actually have I went there not long ago <laughs> right. I, I was thinking Cleethorpes is more the housing area and Grimsby was more the fishing village <laughs> um, sorry to anybody that's from Grimsby that's listening, but um, I also thought, thought at, the, at the beginning that the chief was a, a bit of a bottler to, to back down straight away, like, oh, we've got to close the, the beach, and within minutes he was backing down and saying, oh no, let everybody swim again. Mm, um, I don't think that was his fault, personally. No, but <laughs> Paul's right, though, he gave in a political pressure, didn't he? Yeah. He's new. He was new in the job, and he get he caved in, and then yeah. I think later he obviously regretted it. Not only did he cave in, he caved into somebody wearing a fucking suit jacket with anchors on it. <laughs> I mean, let's. Yeah. It, it was a seventies. It wasn't opera suits. Do you know what I mean? Like this was, this was mental. He yeah. was signed up to be number four, and then died just before they started shooting it. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it's just a cameo. So the, ne- the next thing I've got is lo- early on in the film, there's lots of long distance shots of the shark rather than, than any close ups just to, to cover up the, the fakeness that we've all talked about already. Um, and I just, I've got a, a little note that you brought up the, the mention that there was three sharks. Each of them cost quarter of a million dollars to make. Gosh. Which is, which is phenomenal when you think about it. $750,000 of a $9 million budget. Yeah. That's yeah. a big chunk of that budget. And they didn't work. Yeah. And that's why there's lots of, you know, they had to rewrite the script during filming because they were having so many problems with the shark. Yeah. Apparently, the only shots they got of the shark actually working are in the film. Yeah, there aren't there aren't any extra shots they got. It was that bad. Uh, I also also noted that each kill kind of ramped up in violence. Um, as I said, the first one was kind of anticlimactic, but as they went on, they became more violent with with each with each kill. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's deliberate, and they they're not yeah. showing you the shark until until later. Yeah. It's like the hidden menace. Yeah. And that kind of ties into the, to my next thing that I write down, that the film doesn't really ramp up until they're actually on the orca. Uh, I think it's a fairly slow-moving start to the film until until they get the guys out on the boat, and then it becomes a completely different film. Yeah. So I'm just going, we're just going to have to go for a quick word to our sponsors, P-Dubs, and uh, after yeah. the advert, you can carry on. Where's the spatula? 
Okay, kids, let's go. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a spatula? Spatula City! Spatula City! Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of Spatula City. I like their spatulas so much, I bought the company. Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under spatulas. My, where did you get that lovely spatula? Right, that's that's them out of the way. So uh, please carry on. So yeah, as I was saying, the, the film ramps up once it gets on the orca, and about three quarters of the way through the film, it goes from a very victorious film to to very dull and back again. In that last quarter of the film, it's, it changes very rapidly in that that last section of the film, um, which is great. I I think that's a, a great thing to get you ramped up and then kind of down again and then back to being triumphant by the end of it well i'll tell you what i noticed about that like the, the, what, you, what you're kind of saying there is um the the part when they first um shoot the arrow or shoot a shoot spear into uh jaws with the first barrel yeah when they do that the music gets really triumphant yeah. And if you was watching any other film, that would indicate that they're about to win. Yeah. And enjoying that piece of music as the shark kind of like goes away and the barrel kind of stops bobbing and stuff like that, the music changes. It's still the same piece of music, but it's gone from triumphant to dour. Yeah. yeah. And so, sort of, well, sort of suspense really, isn't it? You know, where's yeah. it gone? What's it doing? What's going to happen next? It's, it's just, just fantastic. In, yeah. in the way that a piece of music can change the vibe that you're feeling. Um, just just really, really clever. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that the most realistic moment with the shark is when it goes underneath the boat. Um, I think that's possibly the, the, the best bit of it. It actually looks like it's moving properly and, and swimming through the water underneath them. Whereas, obviously, some of the other shots, it doesn't look quite as movable as it does at that point. And I wonder whether that was one of the early shots they did um, before it started breaking down. There's um, some live action shots of real sharks in there as well, isn't there? Yeah, under the water. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I can tell you a story about that in a sec, if you want to. Oh, we will, have, we will have that in a second, Mr. Ripley. Don't you worry about that. And then the, the final note I got, just that the finale is absolutely epic. It's, it's everything you want from the end of a film. Yeah. Um, and Spielberg must have absolutely loved blowing that shark up. <laughs> yeah. At the end. Oh, after all the trouble, it, yeah. Yeah, he must have been like, oh, let me do it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, that was all I had. 
No, um, that's that was the, the last note I had. That's wonderful. Um Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. As our kind of horror expert, um, mm-hmm. I don't really know too much about you and Jaws, but I imagine that you've you know you've got some kind of view on 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 Jaws. I think Jaws was possibly the first horror film I ever saw, if you call it a horror. Yeah, I think I think I think that's probably the same with me actually. Um, it I had a VHS copy of it because obviously you and I were too young to have seen it in the cinema. Sorry, Mr. Um, yeah, sorry, Mr. <laughs> um, and it terrified me. Um, it really did, but it also fascinated me as well. Um, and I think I had a little bit of what you were talking about, Mr. D, about having that sort of obsession with it for quite a while. Mm. Um, and I've sort of had a sort of a, a respect and a fascination with it my whole life, and also a respect and a fascination with sharks as well. Um, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, I posted a photo yesterday of a, a great white shark tooth that I own. Mm. Um, and I actually read the Jaws book sitting on a beach in Australia where there was actually great white sharks from around <laughs> <laughs> where I was sitting. Um, you know, it's like secret cinema, but on the beach of a book. <laughs> um, that's what made you yeah. laugh though, but at the time, right, because it, because it was a, you know, a summer movie. People were actually talking about, you know, being scared to go in the water in this country, in the UK. Yeah, you know I mean it was just it was just crazy, but it, it just caught the imagination of people and they were they were actually like sitting on British beaches thinking, Oh, I don't want to go in the water, there might be a shark in there. That's mm. why people don't go in the Thames. <laughs> well, that and the fact that God knows what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean sea life. Man eating condom. Did <laughs> 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 I say that out loud? <laughs> yeah, it's going to go in the front of the show. <laughs> That's the name <laughs> of the episode. Progress. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that was it, really. So I, I've, you know, I've just always been a fan of it. To answer your question, Nick. So, I mean, one thing we haven't really talked about, it got mentioned a little bit before, and before I go into my notes about it, um, but for a lot of us, you know, the, we also have an affinity with, with the ride. Mm. Now, there's two, there's two versions of the Jaws attraction, which I don't think everyone actually realises, because there's one that you would have seen in various TV shows and, and such like, which is the, the Hollywood version. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the one uh, that used to be in Florida and is still in Japan. Um, but they were the only two that had a full attraction. Um, and the Florida one was different originally. It was a whole different ride and then it was rebuilt. Yes. So the, the one in Hollywood is part of the tram tour. Yeah. So you you're on, a, you're on a tram and you go around the Universal lot and some of that tram tour you're actually doing attractions or yeah. scenes from from bits and pieces. Um, so with the Jaws bit, you kind of go up, well, you go across a lake. Um, you go along the side of a lake, and the funny yeah. thing is, is the sets that are all built around <laughs> it are for Murder She Wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Which oh, actually, a uh, Murder She Wrote actually featured it, didn't it? 
I think was he it did. Columbo? Yeah. Uh, I think both all a right. lot of them have yeah. yeah have used it. I know there's um, there's a website which um, has got a list of um, the times that Jaws and Earthquake have been used in in various TV productions. Um, but the one, the one in Hollywood, you, as you said, you go along a lake and um, there's a there's a boat sink. Am I right in thinking there's there's a there's a fisherman? It's it's changed a few times, hasn't it? Yeah. But I think the current yeah, version I, is a, is a natural diver. It's a diver the, now, the isn't lake. it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, it was a man on a boat, and now it's a it's a scuba diver. And another little tidbit: uh, the orca actually used to sit on that lake. What, the the original, mm. yeah, oh, right. the original, and they and they let it rot. Oh man, that's typical theme park thing with boats because that's what they do in Disneyland Paris as well. Um, mm. Not with they all. Also, well, a question for mm. for all of you here. Now they say there was only two walkers. One, as you say, got destroyed. The other one was fiberglass and has since weathered and become destroyed due to Mother Earth, but. The Jaws ride in Florida had a boat out the front. What was that boat? That's a good question. I don't know. It was between... So you you know where the queue was, where you'd enter to get in the queue? Mm. It was between there and where you got off the boat. So where you exited the ride, it was between that section. There was a boat that was fenced off and it had a sign that said it was used in the film but I can't remember what the boat was. And I've just wondered if, you know, there was like a third orca that we all forgot about. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Oh, I suppose they could have rebuilt it, but wasn't the, wasn't the orca that was on the Hollywood Lake, wasn't that actually used by Spielberg? Yeah. Yes. He used to eat his lunch in it. Yeah. 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 So he was quite disappointed when it suddenly wasn't there one day, because then he had to try and, eat his lunch in a wetsuit um but the one at hollywood jaws comes out of the water um and did he spray you with water yeah yeah because of course that's what jaws does um but it you know it's supposed to kind of imitate uh him attacking you the the ride in florida is an actual rise you get on a boat it's like um extreme jungle cruise (laughs) suppose it is isn't it (laughs) um where you go around there was a quite a cool effect with a um one of the boats that you was on was um almost fully submerged um citing a shark attackers kind of bring it into the water um i never really understand stood the why you went into a hut to get away from him you <laughs> went out the other <laughs> side of the hut <laughs> yeah. um, fun fact for halloween horror nights we used to call it the shark in the dark um, yes, that, that was an informal title that everybody used. So it was like a, it was just more terrifying at night that ride. Yeah. Um, and then the first year they had Jack the Clown there. I think it was the first year, or the second year. They they made it slightly scarier. The ride they put a lot more fog in and stuff like that. Mm. And then when you got into that shed, they had a Jack the Clown scare actor in there, who would between the, the shark coming up, they sort of slowed the shark down a bit, and then this actor would jump out at you. Um, and try and scare you from there. Um, but fun fact, they had to stop doing that because the Jack the Clown actor slipped and fell in the water with the shark. <laughs> that, could yeah. been, that could have been horrendous. <laughs> Apparently, the actor was so traumatised, Universal had to pay for counselling for two years. 
Jesus. Yeah. But um, in the end of in the end of that ride, they blow up Jaws. Um, I suppose slightly similar to how he's killed in the film. He's electrocuted. Um, is he not shot at? He's shot at, but he dies from electrocution, doesn't he? I think he gets electrocuted, but then he survives it in the Florida version. I don't remember the Hollywood version too long ago. I know he gets. I know he gets blown up in the Florida version. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I actually, I think you're right because doesn't a fr- it's a fried jaws that get that comes up right at the end of the ride, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a version of yeah. it that comes up on. Well, they. I think yeah. the first iteration it did physically blow up, but they had a problem with clearing the blood from the water. Yes. Um, but there was also a shark that bit into the boat and dragged the boat, and that never ever worked. And that's the main reason they had to change the whole ride. Yes, yeah, and also if you if you can find there are a few pictures of the original Jaws attraction on the internet and the original Jaws uh, animatronic, I don't know, um, but had the most ridiculous teeth you've ever seen in your life. It was it wasn't nicknamed Carrot Jaws or something. Carrot teeth, carrot tooth. Yeah, because that's what they the teeth looked like. They were ridiculous. It's like Cilla Black. <laughs> that's that's the Hollywood one, isn't it? Carrot tooth. Yeah. Yeah. But the Orlando one, the fact that it broke down, that created Halloween Horror Nights. If that ride hadn't been so badly built, we would probably have never have got Halloween Horror Nights. Didn't it close down for like three years? Yeah, yeah, a long time. They they basically had to strip it and completely redo the ride, didn't they? Change the tracks and everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Apart from the buildings, everything changed. Mm-hmm. But I miss it. I mean, I, you know, by the time I actually finally got to to Florida and got to ride that attraction, I'd already missed King Kong. Actually, going back on what I said, I think King Kong, if you want want to call the original King Kong a horror film, that that would have been the first horror film I saw. But, you know, the big attractions for me were King Kong and Jaws. King Kong had already gone by the time that I first got to Orlando, but Jaws was still there. And yeah, it was a bit cheesy, but. I still think it was a really good adaptation of a of a theme park ride, and I, I would I would argue it's probably still the best movie based attraction there's ever been at a theme park. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't cons- I know the I know the Mummy is technically, you know, based on that on the Mummy series of films, but that that isn't that ride has nothing to do with the Mummy films, in my opinion. Um, the Jaws ride's a better ride anyway. I, I just, I just think it's better themed. I think you know you got to see Jaws, it, it, like everything about it. I just, I just loved, and I love what they've done. You know, I, I, you know, I do enjoy what they've replaced it with. But if you could, if I could bring that ride back tomorrow in the third park, if you're listening, Universal, then I would do. Um, I don't care how controversial it is. I know not everyone agrees with me, but. Um, I would do anything for a confrontation and Jaws redo. I just think both of those should never have gone away. Maybe on Thursday. Oh, fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Jaws. So, uh, made some notes as I always do. Um, so, the first thing, like, I, I think the opening sequence is done really well. So, you know, when you're you're kind of seeing under the ocean, um, obviously a shark, or supposed to be like a shark swimming around with that music i think it's really good um what i thought was quite interesting as well is that 
when they're around the bonfire or the campfire on the beach, it's really, really dark. When that girl suggests going skinny dipping and they run up the sand dune, it's really light. It goes from really dark to really light. It's still not, it's not daylight, but it's not nighttime like it was before. And I don't yeah. know why. It's like it's just sunset, doesn't it? Yeah. When it's uh, very weird. Around the campfire, it's like full night. Do um, humans taste better when they're skinny dipping? Because every time they go skinny dipping in the film, they always end up dying. Well, I suppose they must do because, you know, I mean, I've never tried to, to eat a, a T-shirt myself, but I can't imagine they taste quite as nice. You know, it's dangerous to go swimming when there's really scary music going on at the same time. That is also very true. <laughs> that's how you know when not to end the war. Yeah, that's a common denominator. I never go. I'm never going to see at the beach if there's um, some loud, scary music playing. No, nah, good. That's, that's I, mean, I think it's the right sensible. thing to do. But yeah, I suppose. I suppose, Chris, if you think, you know, would you eat a banana with the skin on? Mm. Or does a banana taste point. better when you take the skin off? Maybe. Um, I I put as well, I think she does some great acting when she's being attacked by the shark. Now, I appreciate that she's probably being dragged around somehow to simulate her being attacked by a shark, but I think it's realistic. And I also I don't ask... Yeah. Uh, apparently she was a stunt well, She's woman. been pulled around. Yeah. Um, I also said, I know he was drunk, but how did he not hear that? She makes a lot of noise. Um, I put the uh, the mayor, or sorry, the mayor, and his cronies remind me of the Channel Four news team from Anchorman. <laughs> Especially that bit where they're going to go and fight all the other news teams. That's what he reminded me of. I thought, you know, they're only like a trident and uh, you know a, a, a nailed baseball bat away from uh, a fight with some other seventies news teams. Um, bad hat Harry definitely a bad hat fully agree with that yeah I can understand why he says that the nails on the chalkboard bit always makes me feel ill <laughs> yeah you know I've seen Jaws now twice in the last month and that scene just makes me cr- I know it's what he's supposed to do but it does um, right here's one that's a bit random and I hope people know who this is but I put Quint reminds me of Norm MacDonald does anybody know who Norm Macdonald is? She is? No, that's Norm Peter. Uh, what's his name? I can't remember. Norm Macdonald used to be um, used to be part of Saturday Night Live back in the 90s, and he pops up quite a lot in comedy films. I'll send some clips in. Um, but the way he talks and the way he looks really reminds me of Norm Macdonald. Gosh. It's just me. Um, did anyone spot Popeye? That is a much better impression than it had any right to be. Um, some bloke <laughs> randomly appears wearing like a nautical shirt and wear and smoking a pipe, and it just reminded me of Popeye for some reason. Um, Did anybody spot Peter Benchley, the author? Right. So no, I read afterwards that he's in the film, but no, mm. he he's one of the yeah. reporters, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a reporter on the beach. Okay, I'm gonna when I go back and rewatch that bit, then I'll check that out. Uh, was Richard Dreyfus ever as good um, after playing Hooper? 
well, I put that, and then I remember Close Encounters, so probably not after that. Um, I put the scene. Oh, Brody! I don't think Brody deserved that slap. I put. So oh, I when don't know. The, when that's the, a good scene. I'm not saying it's not a good scene, but the thing is, like, he wanted to close the beach. He wasn't allowed to close the beach. Yeah, but true I story. True story. The actress that played Mrs. Kinter had she stopped. She doesn't do cons anymore because fans would queue up to get her autograph, and then when they get there, they would say, "Can you slap me, please?" Jesus Christ! What's wrong with people? <laughs> so she doesn't do cons anymore because she slapped too many people. My God! She got fed up doing it. Apparently, who do you think she is, Joan Crawford? Yeah. I know. Uh, what's the, <laughs> it was the one uh, Faye Dunaway. Did you hear that story? She just got sacked from a play because she kept slapping staff. Oh, God. Yeah, weirdo. Um, also, right, I know, I know P-Dubs alluded to this earlier about how old Roy Schneider looks, right? How old was that woman? <laughs> yeah, she's still alive. She looked old. Yeah, she's still alive. <laughs> that film was 45, 44 years ago, and she looked like she was in her 70s then. <laughs> Jesus Who's Christ. That? Mrs. Kinder. Oh, Mrs. Right. It does look old, man. Um, the scene where Brody and his son copy each other, I think, is really beautiful. I am waiting to have that moment with one of my children. I'm not sure whether that was all ad libbed, wasn't it? I'm not sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. But no, nevertheless, I thought it was lovely. Mm. Um, Brody can't serve wine for shit. <laughs> Because he pours himself almost a pint of wine and then like a little <laughs> dribble for the wife. And then, you know, half, almost half a glass of for the, the man who bought the wine. Yeah, but there's a reason behind that, that though, isn't there? Problem, it? What's the reason, Mr. Ripley? Well, apparently, if you read the book, um, she apparently is having an affair. Oh, yeah. They have a thing. With mm. She's getting it on it's the a one-off thing. Yeah, so I did. I it's did quite see. a weird. It's quite a weird scene in the book. Yeah, well, like Spielberg. Weird. Spielberg apparently cut it out because he wanted the characters to be more appealing, mm. and felt yeah. that that would, you know, make both of them look quite bad. So mm. I, I kind of yeah. get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now, here's the thing. Right, I've watched over the last few years. I've probably watched more horror films because of Halloween Horror Nights than I've probably ever done. Right, I've never. I've never been huge into horror. And I've seen things that I've been told are really going to like put the jeepers into me. Uh, like somebody convinced me the Babadook was really scary. Well, I don't have anyone seen yeah. it, but don't. It's tosh. Yeah, right? it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't find it. I didn't find it scary. And yet, I've seen Jaws twice this month, and both times the head made me jump. Yeah, I shit my pants on. And I think I told you the story. I went with my mother, and that was in the days when you got like bags of sweets. And when that head came up, all of the sweets went about six <laughs> feet up in the air. And I spent that, five minutes on my hands and knees in the dark trying to find them. In in the original, it's true Scotsman talking there. Um, in the original um, cut, there was no jump with that head, and. No. Spielberg's editor, this this lady, I forget her name, she edited it at her house in her garage, this film. And when he watched it through with uh, an audience at the, the Hitchcock Theatre in Hollywood, um, he said it's missing a beat. It needs a, it needs a jump scare there. 
So he went back to this lady's um, house with her, and they, but he basically got a friend to to um, redo the whole scene in her swimming pool, and they shot it that night. Spielberg and this guy, and then um, put the jump in, and then literally gave the film straight to her, and then she edited it into the film, and then it went off to be, um, um, you know, printed everywhere. It's true. It costs an extra three grand, which Spielberg spent himself, and they use powdered milk to replicate the murky water. God, they filled their swimming pool with bloody powdered milk. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know how much they, they actually poured into the water, but yeah, just to, just to cause the effect. Wow. You know what Hollywood doesn't know it's missing there. It's got CGI. Dedication. Um, him and his family being made to go in the sea is like that time, I put Thatcher, but I think that's wrong. But when that politician was eating the beef burger during the mad cow disease uh, yeah. issue, do you, remember, do you remember we had that in like the, the late 80s, early 90s? I was remember cow. Edwina Curry talking about eggs before that. Yes, no, that's another thing. one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, was it? I can't remember who it was now. Was it the, um, was it the, the one that looked like know. a vampire? Michael Howard. Yeah, was it him? Maybe um, I put Thatcher, but I then thought I don't think it is. But there was there was definitely an MP that was like, "No, can't get mad cow disease yeah. from beef. Have some beef and ate a beef burger." Um, so I just, I just felt that that was like the same kind of the same kind of thing there. Mm. Um, another thing: Why do the men in this film keep knocking kids off the floats, <laughs> swim back to shore quicker? You know, they never heard of the Titanic. <laughs> Women and children first. These these grown ass men. There was there's at least two, not kids off a float, so they could nick the float to swim back to shore. Unbelievable! It's like Mehmet Ozil. Um, right. Here's another thing: shark in the park. Now I don't know if I've ever told this story, and this is going to go off on a tangent, but it's me talking. So obviously, one day, my wife was talking in her sleep. This is about 10 years ago. And she's, ta- she's saying to me, she's taking a shark for a walk in the park. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And of course, you know, like when people are talking in their sleep, they're, they're, all, they're having a conversation that sounds completely relevant to them, but it's obviously not. And she's going, I'm just taking a shark for a walk in the park. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there isn't a shark. Yeah, I'm taking for a walk in the park. Well, you can't do that. And, she, and then she went, no, leave him there. Like really aggressively. So like the next morning, I said, so do you know you were talking in your sleep last night? You were talking about a shark in the park. She's like, no. Anyway, about two days later, starts doing the same thing. <laughs> I recorded her. I've got the audio um, on my computer somewhere of her talking about shark in the park. And watching Jaws last night, I realised that is what the girl is shouting out when they think they've seen the shark and it's those boys with the fin on their back. Yeah. And it gets into the estuary. She's saying shark in the park. Shark so in the park. She's saying shark in the park. And I don't know why, but that's what she's shouting out. Or even ran it back. Weird. So she's just saying shark, shark. She's sort of stuttering, isn't she? Yeah. She's like, shark. Yeah, but no, it sounds like shark in the park. So I wonder if that's where my wife picked it up from. Right. It's now since been made into a children's book. That's a true story. Uh, not by her, though. Um, 
Quint must love apricot brandy, and he's mad as a box of frogs. Um, has anyone ever loved any booze? Oh yeah, I know. I, I think we realised that afterwards. Um, Hooper's glasses are sponsored by the UFC. Um, I don't know if anyone picked up on these octagon-shaped glasses, but they were quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, another bit, you know, we talked a lot about how Spielberg made some incredible shots in the film. I really like the shot when the camera zooms in through the the, the jaw bone yeah. shark. Mm. The orchid going up to see. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a really clever shot. That I think yeah. so. Yeah, um, I put that in some uh, fishing setup that Quint has. So when he's sat in the chair and he sticks the rod in like the holder, and he's yeah, got the footrest, yeah. that, that's some planning. That is that's someone who's hardcore about fishing. Um, the first time you see Jaws, I think is still amazing. I know it, I know the effect looks a little bit dated, but I still think it's very clever. Um, I think the shark looks more terrifying because it's not natural. Yes. Do you know what yeah, I mean? I'd go with that. Yeah, I can understand mm. that. Um, I've already mentioned about the music, you know, the, the change from the triumph to the bad. Uh, drunk scene so, so good. US, um, USS Indianapolis was real. So I, I don't think we talked too much about that, but the story he's, he's telling is an actual real event that happened during World War II. Well, interestingly, um, that... Um, story, which is which, as you say, is true, is not in the book. Um, it, it, I think I believe it's been added since, but it was not in the original book because it was still um, uh, uh, redacted. You know, it was still um, part of the Secrets Act. It wasn't released, oh. um, and it was only released shortly before they started production. And Spielberg read an article about it in the newspaper and said, oh, we could use this as Quint's backstory. So then they quickly rewrote that into the script. That's amazing. I love that. So good. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to talk any more about it since we talked about it so so much. Um, I said, how he filmed the scenes when the boat is being dragged around in the 70s, I don't know. I mean, a lot of the effects that they do in the sea with the boat, I think considering... You know that uh, you know its practical effects. I think is is very very good. It does look realistic to me. Um, I think it's the natural geography of Cape Cod area, in that it's quite shallow all the way around Martha's Vineyard. Right. So you can go quite far out, so you can't see land, but it's still quite shallow. Right, which is why they can do the stuff that they do. Yeah, I think that's was one of the main reasons they did shoot it there in particular. Um, I put the sound of music is so effective. Um, and a bit that I really highlighted was um, when Hooper goes in the shark cage and you're waiting for sh- the jaws to, for the shark to turn up and then you see him in the background. But there is nothing, there is no noise until that shark hits the cage. Oh, I know, yeah. And Oof. then you get the thuff and then the music kicks in. I just think it's so clever. Like The, the sound is, is, is fantastic. He actually won an Oscar for that, didn't it? Well, bloody right, it should have done as mm. well. Um, R.I.P. Quint, such a good end to a fantastic character. I think his death scene's brilliant. You know, thrashing away till, um, you know, till he, he's actually there, you know, he's trying to stab him still with the, with the, the knife, just, just really good. Um, I think it's really clever as well how the boat, you know, they, they keep sinking the boat 
and Roy Schneider's kind of like climbing up more and more to any bit that's left of it for him to blow up the shark. I think how they film that is, is just brilliant. Um, so in closing, I put 44 years on and Jaws is considered a masterpiece and rightfully so. The young Spielberg in, in only his second film showed more humour, horror and terror coupled with amazing shots and sequences that many experienced directors, then many experienced directors, often imitated, never improved. Jaws is up there as one of cinema's greatest works. I really do feel that. I, I think, you know, I said, like it was the second film, the second feature length film Spielberg had ever done. He'd done some TV movies before. But for that to be your second film with that iconography, with uh, the, the, the roles... Um, you know, with the performances of the actors in that, with the terror, with the thrills, with the comedy, not much comedy, but it's still effective when it works. I think it's unbelievable. What a way to start a career. Um, interesting you say about, about that. Um, Spielberg was obsessed with Hitchcock mm. and he got thrown off of two of Hitchcock's sets where he snuck on. Um, and at one point he was even like he'd already made Jaws at one point um, and he still got thrown off the set by Hitchcock <laughs> this is true, it's absolutely true he was desperate to meet him and you know the actor Bruce Dern yes he wrote in his autobiography that um, Spielberg had said to him in the commissionary that he really wanted to meet Hitchcock and Bruce Dern who was starring in Hitchcock's last film um, went up to Hitchcock and said, um, "Look, Hitch, you've got to, um, you've got to meet this boy. Uh, you're his. I'm reading it now. You're his idol. He just wants to sit at your feet for five minutes and chat with you. He he's just made this film um, about a shark, and you've got to see it. It's the biggest love letter to Hitchcock that you'll you'll ever see." And Hitchcock said, "What the boy that made the fish movie? I could never sit down and talk to him because I'd feel like a whore." I'm old and I've sold out and I can't look him in the eye. That's wow. what said, apparently. And, and then he made that advert advertising yeah. the Bionic Man. <laughs> yeah, because because <laughs> they bought Oh no. Oh no, I'm still here somehow. We got we got you bought. Oh hang on. He always does that. And, he's about and to on that note, really fantastic nugget, and then he's gone. <laughs> well, while we wait for Chris to come back, hopefully he will do. Um, next month's film is Batman. Yeah, what, the Michael the Keaton 19, one, the nineteen eighty nine Michael Keaton Batman movie, directed by Tim Burton. Saw that in the cinema as well. So um, did I. It was one of the first I saw. How did you right. see it? It goes up. My brother took me. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're young. Well, I was five. But it was a 12. I know. Jesus Christ. I will, they wouldn't let Still me in. Still on his shoulders, doesn't he? The long corner. <sighs> so that's next month's film anyway. So okay. that's, that's August. And then September, hopefully, if I can get Craig to watch it, um, The Princess Bride. Never seen it. Okay. You never seen it. 
I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to go and read the book now because uh, I love The Princess Bride and, and apparently the book's really good. And it's, it's written by the, the, the man who directed it. No, sorry. He wrote the screenplay. It's Rob Reiner that directed it. So, yeah, apparently the book's really good as well. Um, but yeah, that's going to be September's. So that's that's it. October, I think it's going to be some film probably associated around Halloween Horror Nights. So, so it should be. I'm not sure if um, if uh, Mr. Ripley was. I'm, I'm going to fill in for him now. But we was talking the other day because Hitchcock made a film for Universe. Sorry, made an advert for Universal Studios Hollywood in the late seventies. And it had a really crappy effect of him doing like a, a million dollar man style jump because the advert was kind of talking about the fact that you can see how uh, the magic in movies is made, including how they do the effects for the million dollar man, six million dollar man and the Bionic woman. So, um, yeah, apparently because of that advert, that's why he said what he did to about Spielberg. He felt too embarrassed to actually meet Spielberg. What a shame. And also, wouldn't the movie Hitch have been different if it was about Hitchcock? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Mr. D, what was you going to say? Mr. D, sleep again. I'm I'm here, but the internet is breaking up a bit. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, good. I'm well, sorry, I'm still awake. I thought you were going to say something when I made a crappy joke about the film. Yeah. No, I was going to say something. Uh, I, I think I mentioned before, um, I've got an Audible subscription. Yeah. And I can mention the, um, there's a, there's a, it's actually free by a guy called Adam Roche and he did a series about Universal and and the horror movies and it was really really good but since then i've listened to a number of them all by the same guy and the last one I listened to was called the the life and adventures of alfred hitchcock so it was hitchcock's story and mm. it's just superb i mean all of them are good um there's one about uh warner brothers which is really about gangsters and gangster movies but it's the story of warner brothers there's one about um audrey hep which think is that interesting but actually her story before she became famous is quite amazing Alfred Hitchcock um, and there's actually I'm going to right now about Walt Disney and the whole thing about the communists and the strike and blah 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 so they're really good if anybody's got an audible account look Adam Roach is the guy in the, the free and they're superb stick a note in the group and I'll definitely mm-hmm. want to check those out um, yeah. but we're coming up to the end, so thank you, Pauls, and we will see you in August for the 30th anniversary of Tim Burton's Batman. Ooh. It's not scary, but, you know. Anyway, we will see you then. Here we go. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. I love the fact that you come back to say goodbye. <laughs> I wish I knew how it would feel to be free I wish I could break 